Hi, everybody. My name is Greg Katz, and welcome to Tuesday's edition of WeAreSC.com's Inside the Trojan Huddle, where we tell it like it is. Friends, Inside the Trojan's Huddle is a game-like panel discussion that is posted Tuesdays in the offseason and twice during the regular season. The huddle features WeAreSC columnists, staff writers, and historians. We start first with the pregame show, where we introduce our panel members for this special edition of Inside the Trojans Huddle, and then give you the latest USC Trojans football news. Let's first meet Tuesday's panelists, a WeRSC columnist who writes WeRSC.com's The Monday Morass, Yay or Nay, and Sunday Takeaways, in addition to regular season football and basketball reports. He also hosts his own podcast show entitled Locked on USC. That's Mark Culkin. The editor-in-chief of WeRSC.com, columnist, national recruiting guru, and a graduate of USC, Eric McKenney. And a weekly WeRSC columnist who writes Fridays, the obvious, not so obvious, IMHO Sunday, and is an active member of the Football Writers Association of America, your moderator and producer of Inside the Trojans Huddle. That's me, Greg Katz. Before we kick off this Tuesday's edition of Inside the Trojans Huddle, here's a recap in USC football news. Last week, Bet Online released the odds on five of USC's biggest games on the 19, the 2023 schedule. And of the five games listed, the Trojans were underdogs in two of those games. More on the Bet Online betting odds coming up in the first half of the huddle. On Sunday, former Alabama Crimson Tide defensive back, Tracon Feggins, who was a redshirt freshman for the Tide, officially announced he was transferring to USC. Megan's, who will play safety at SC, has four years of eligibility remaining. Megan's is six feet, 180, was accompanied over the weekend by members of his family. It should be noted that the Trojans now rank number one on the On3 2023 transfer portal rankings. Also on Sunday, about an hour after the commitment of Traquan Megan's, his four-star younger brother's safety, Anquan Megan's, class of 2025, announced his commitment to USC, and Quan is the first USC commitment for the class of 2025, and Quan, who is the number three prep player in Alabama, is the nation's overall number 17 prospect on the on three rankings. Both Fagan's brothers are from Oxford, Alabama, and Thompson High School. Friends, we are SC's Inside the Trojan Saddle. Greatly appreciate your viewer and listenership, and we encourage those of you watching on sites like YouTube to click on the red subscriber and like buttons is greatly valued and it's free. You can also listen to Inside the Trojan Huddle on many available podcast sites. And a reminder, WeRSC.com is offering a subscription special. You can get all the WeRSC premium content for just $29.99 up to August 31st, 2023, or $9.99 per month. This offer includes all of the off-season recruiting and transfer news, plus it takes you right through training camp, right through the first USC first home game against San Jose State on August 23rd in the Coliseum. So with that out of the way, let's go to the first half kickoff. Panel, we start with some thoughts on the two weekend commitments from former Alabama Crimson Tide safety, Traquan Fagans, who will be able to play immediately, and his younger brother, sophomore safety, Anquan Fagans, the first USC commit for the class of 2025. It should be noted, as we said, that both Fagan brothers played high school in the state of Alabama. So we'll lead off with Mark Culkin. Your thoughts on this transaction over the weekend. 
Can we hear Mark? Fantastic. Can there you, hear you me? go. All right, you're good to go. Yeah, no, it was great. Um, being able to get a, a player of uh, of Traquan Figgins, stat, you know, stature, coming to USC at this juncture, it, it, I'm, I don't want to say it's the final piece, but it's definitely one of those corner edges that you need to complete the puzzle. Um, what they did at the defensive line so far through the transfer portal at the second level, if you want to include Jamil Muhammad with Mason Cobb, and now you, you add a, another player into the secondary to go with Christian Roland Wallace, USC found their nickel back, I think. that's If, if he's going to be playing safety, I think that's going to be his position. And if that's the case, and they've got someone who can now cover the tight end, as well as, you know, have have the ability to cover the receiver out of the slot, uh, I, I think all the pieces are there for Alex Grinch and his defense to to get the job done. And you, you get a you get a little bonus baby in a couple of years with his younger brother, probably replacing him at the position he's playing. Eric, what do you what do you think about this? Now they they said that both brother they wanted the younger one says he wants to play with the older one. Okay, so that was a good deal. I mean, we saw pictures of him here with his family, his father, so on and so forth. Um, let me ask you: You're a recruiting guru here on WeRSC.com. Um, what kind of a presence does this make in the Southeast Conference? Because uh, Nick Saban said not too long ago that the biggest threat in recruiting, uh, threat to them and to others, was USC, which was kind of interesting. What's your take on it? I I think it's I think it's pretty big, um, and and a 2025 commitment from a safety from Alabama at this time, typically you'd, you'd celebrate it, you'd whatever, but then you start counting down the time until he's not in USC's class anymore, right? The, the SEC teams come. So having the older brother come in is clearly huge. I mean, to, to being able to keep the younger brother. Uh, Anquan is the number three player in a, in a really good Alabama state class uh for that 2025 year. So so this is not a this is not a throw-in. These are these are both two kids who can really play. Uh you know, when when you're getting, and you've talked about this before, Greg, when you're getting a guy who's leaving in the transfer portal from a program, you want to know why. And especially when you go to Alabama and you don't play as a true freshman, which no knock on anybody who doesn't play as a true freshman in Alabama. That is a, a tough hill to climb. Uh, but no, he he was a big time recruit. Alabama goes out and gets him. And now USC is showing these guys nationally. And this is from the Midwest. This is from down south. This is from the DMV area. This is from everywhere. Hey, come to USC. There's a spot for you here. They're recruit. I, I know that USC fans want them to recruit. California and Southern California and lock those areas down. Lincoln Riley has shown, no, we're going to go get the best football players we can go get. And if you're at a place like USC, people, people want to gravitate towards there. If you give them, if, if you put the light on the moths will come. Right. And so that's, that's kind of what's happening. They're showing these kids, you can come and, and get it all at USC. You can play great football. You can have your name out there up in, up in the lights uh, you can win major awards. You can win a bunch of football games. And these are the things that that you can do now 
going and, and getting these recruits. So no, I, I think it's all, it, it's a piece, right? This isn't your number one, the best thing that happened all off season in the transfer portal for USC, but you start putting all those pieces together and Deion Sanders and Colorado are going to get a huge percentage of the ink and the press about the transfer portal this off season. It's wild what is going on at, at Colorado, but you start looking at the numbers and what USC did with kind of a, a more targeted class of let's, we need a guy at this spot. We need a guy at this spot. Whereas last off season, maybe it was like, we need good players. Yeah. But we also need anyone who wants to show up. This is another one of those. Hey, we, we might have a need here, fill some depth, maybe battle for a, a starting spot. And so that's where it's big is, is you're seeing all, all of the players coming in in this off season really truly legitimate options to potentially start game one for USC this fall. And, and when you're talking about 14 guys coming in, that I think makes a statement for you, but no, being able to spread it nationally, being able to have an appeal for recruits and players from all different walks of life, all different areas of the country. Uh, it's, it's pretty remarkable what Lincoln Riley has done in still, I think we kind of understate the short amount of time that he's done to to get this thing to where it is right now yeah i think it's go ahead mark i was gonna say those numbers that eric just gave you know he used that number eight all right the the number 14 those are just the transfers of the 14 eight are on defense of the 22 recruited players only eight were on defense so the transfer portal was used to specialize exactly the needs they had to go get um and then recruiting is going to supplement those guys backing them up that was yeah I think that this, uh, what he's doing is to me a, just a big Pete Carroll-like step. He is going into Southeast Conference territory. He's getting players from Alabama, which needs no introduction, right? He's getting good players, players that were thought of. And the spotlight now is on USC. You, you add Alexander uh, the Bear to it. Uh, from Georgia, and then when you think about the potential uh, signees they could get out of Florida, uh, he's making big progress. And the transfer portal is allowing players to to think about an option that they could take if it doesn't work out, or they didn't choose SC, maybe they chose Georgia or uh, Florida State or whatever. That hey, I'll, I'll check on USC first to transfer that's where everybody goes you know if it doesn't work out well look at just because it didn't work out at let's say florida state doesn't mean it's not going to work out at usc so he's getting the best of both worlds i i kind of remember when pete carroll they passed that stupid law uh that he the head coaches couldn't go to high school practices that was an sec push they knew it they could feel it and i'm going to tell you right now they're going to feel this they're going to they're it they're, that prophecy of nick uh uh Saban saying you know I he doesn't fear anybody but you better be concerned about USC and you know the more guys go the more guys go and you know it may not be that you know that you have to wait for a class of 2025 guy it may be some guy in Alabama or Georgia what happens if Matthews the wide receiver from uh Georgia decides to sign with USC uh is that going to cripple Georgia of course not but it is going to sit there and start getting a lot of momentum 
as the years roll on. I, I think he's in great, great shape, the Trojan program is. And I think they have to recruit out of state right now because you know the players that are already in state, they're gonna they're gonna be there. I don't think they're gonna get I think you know Lincoln Riley knows where their you know their bread is buttered, so to speak. So to me, it's it's all good. It's all good. I'm really excited about it personally. All right, let's move on here. We're going to change from recruiting to odds. Uh, as many of you may already know, some of the early betting lines, uh, they call betting lines, a.k.a. odds, of many of the most uh, critical USC football games for next season were released by Bet Online. Uh, panel, let's take a look and uh, get your opinions on some of these five released early betting lines. Do you agree, disagree with these betting lines? Tell us why. It should be noted that all five of these crucial games and the odds are part of a challenging second half of the 2023 schedule. So let's start off uh, in in order. Uh, number one, USC at Notre Dame. The Irish are a one-point favorite. Uh, Mark Culkin, agree, disagree? Why? Disagree. Uh, look, I understand this game's on the road and Notre Dame is you get the what the three point home field advantage. So if you're only favored by a point at home, that's telling me on a neutral field, USC would be considered the favorite. So I, I just see this offense clicking by the time they get the South Bend. And if, if the defense is 20% better statistically, keeping points off the board than they were last year, um, yeah, that one point is easy money. I, I I highly disagree with it. USC is going to roll. They're going to break the losing streak in South Bend in 2023. Take it to the bank. All right. The bank opens at, opens at what, nine? We'll be there. Eric, about you, you taking it to the bank? I, maybe not all the way, but I was surprised that Notre Dame was favored in that one. I, I thought that would be an easy USC as the favorite kind of insulation. Maybe not a ton of points, but that game last year wasn't, all that close usc has absolutely gotten better i understand notre dame went out and got sam hartman and and right when you're talking about odds especially this far before the start of the season you want to throw stuff out that's going to generate interest and and betting on both sides uh but no for for me i i of the of the five I think maybe that was the most surprising to me that that notre dame was favored in that one even like mark said even with it being in in south bend i just thought usc and i know we're talking about next year and not last year but i think you got a sense of kind of where where the programs were um last year and i, I don't think notre dame has gotten that much better than usc in in this same offseason well i think the one point favorite is based on a lot of optimism about uh, sam hartman the transfer from wake forest uh you know i watched some of their uh, spring game and uh, of course, how much can you derive from really from a spring game? But I think he's a, he is better than uh, Tyler Bookner was, uh, uh, was who transferred, of course, to Alabama so he could be with the former offensive coordinator of Notre Dame, uh, Tommy Reese. Um, I, I think the, the question is, 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 is Notre Dame better on offense compared to USC better on defense? Uh, I tend to agree with uh, with Culkin on this one. If they're 20% or at least 25% better, where they can hold maybe 14 points less than they have been giving up in the past, uh, 
I think the Trojans, and again, it also gets down to field goal kicking. And, uh, you know, we, we have to see if SC's field goal kicker can, you know, there'll be a lot of pressure on him with the series of great, uh, tight games. But I think SC should win at Notre Dame. Uh, it really depends on the defense. Uh, I really have no question about the offense. I have none. I think that um, uh, SC is going to roll even against Notre Dame uh, as long as uh, as long as number thirteen is is vertical. SC is going to be hard to beat. It all gets down to that defense. So let's move on to Utah at USC. Trojans return home uh, a seven point favorite. Are you surprised by that? Seven points. Agree? Disagree? Why, Mark Culkin? <sighs> I think that's a fair spread. Um, look, USC is going to be coming back from Notre Dame. You're hoping that there's not too much of an emotional letdown. But again, you've got Utah in front of you. And that team has beaten you two times in a row at Utah in the conference championship game. I have a feeling that this might be one of those personal games where the guys are going to like, you know what? We remember. You kept us from achieving the playoffs last year. Uh, we're going to remind you why we're we are we're chosen above you to be the conference championship, the conference champion. I think they're going to go in with that type of attitude. I'm hoping. Now that said, seven point. Um, yeah, at home, USC is going to roll. That, that that offense. I don't know when they. In the games that were close last year, I mean, they won by more than seven points outside of that Oregon State game. You know, it really wasn't close on the scoreboard. So, I, I, yeah, take the take take the points. You're good. All right, Eric, are you going to take the points? Uh, no, seven seemed high to me. I, I don't really mind SC being favored, but it also is one of those things where Utah – to me, earned it last year. Again, I know. Different year, different teams. Utah brings a ton back, though. I know uh, the, the tight end's gone. Clark Phillips is gone, right? They, they lost some guys who were tough matchups for USC. At this point, when you still have moving parts and you can add more guys, it's kind of, you know, clothing against clothing, right? The, the Utah program right now feels like it should be closer than than seven to USC. I will say the interesting thing is in every year prior to this, you'd look at the schedule and go, man, USC's coming off a road trip to Notre Dame. That's going to be a letdown the next week. Utah coming off, I, I think, a home game against Cal or something the week before. That would favor Utah. Because of the transfer portal and because of last year, I think the Utah game was a bigger game to a lot of the players on this uh, on the USC roster. I don't think that there is that built-in Notre Dame hate for a lot of these new USC guys that have been here. They'll have been here for six months or a year or, you know, 18 months that they've even been affiliated with the USC program. So the idea of like the letdown after traveling to Notre Dame and get, then getting a team, I don't know if you'll get that this year because I think they're going to be as fired up for Utah as as potentially any game on the schedule which is kind of a, an interesting wrinkle that the that the portal gives you yeah i agree the only fear i have about notre dame is just from a physical standpoint it's always a big physical game when sc and notre dame play and if they can come out of the game fairly healthy 
I don't have a problem with them playing Utah at USC. And I'd be a little different if they're playing at Rice Eccles. But, uh, you know, the thing about Utah is they're an experienced team in a lot of areas, especially a quarterback with with rising. Uh, he's certainly not going to be uh, intimidated. But, you know, <laughs> you got Caleb Williams as your quarterback, as your leader. There's no way he's not going to remind his team and be motivated after losing to them twice last year. Uh, they'll be up for it. Uh, and I think they'll see the Notre Dame game as kind of like a season unto itself. If they come back after a win from Notre Dame, they'll figure they have cleared a big time hurdle. They can now focus completely uh, in an optimistic way. Uh, because if they lost at Notre Dame, part of it will be that they were injured uh, emotionally, uh, maybe in the national championship picture, and then they can't afford to drop another one. And this being Caleb Williams' final season, in all probability, a lot of uh, a lot of attention is being placed to a playoff spot. If they beat the Notre Dame, which I I think they will, uh, you know, then I think they turn to Utah to be ready to go. They have all the motivation they need. Uh, and I think SC will be ready. Plus, I'm going to look at the crowd factor. I think if SC beats Notre Dame, the crowd is into it. And I think it could be close to a sellout, if not a sellout, for the Utah game. Uh, seven points doesn't seem like too much or too little to me. Uh, if SC really gets ahead of uh, Utah, uh, I would say look out. Utah can't afford to let USC start rolling on offense. If they do, uh, Cam Rising or not, I think Utah is going to be in trouble. It was, right, seven, it, was three, it was 17 to three when Caleb pulled his hammy. So that's how quickly USC can score. That's exactly, exactly. Uh, let's look at Washington at USC. Now the Trojans, another seven point favorite. Uh, agree or disagree? Uh, why, Mark? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, this is, we're, we're in the home stretch here. USC, they've got what? Washington, Oregon, UCLA. And this is, this is where, you know, the pollsters, the playoff committee, everybody's watching and saying, all right, where, where are we going to start seeding these guys? Um, USC at home versus Washington. Yeah, I, I again, for me, seven points is just not enough uh, when you're talking about this offense. It it just seems like easy money. Um, so again, you know, Eric brought it up, you brought it up. As long as this team is relatively healthy, Caleb was standing upright, and the defense has improved uh, at home. I'm going to take seven points every single time. Eric? It's like Utah for me. Se seven seems big right now, just because the if, the if of the USC defense improving is, is still gigantic, right? I, after the first few weeks, I think you can start looking at that seven and then decide like, oh no, that's that's got to move up or down. But out here where Washington is going to, Washington, I guarantee you players and fans think that their offense is step for step what USC has offensively with the guys coming back. Washington lost virtually nobody from that team that put up yards and points incredibly well. The wide receivers they have coming back, the quarterback they have coming back, it's right up there with a lot of USC's guys. Defensively, they have a lot of guys coming back too. So seven again feels big. The home, the home game for USC, and again the offense. I'm fine if USC's favored. Three, four, something like that at, at this point until you see that USC defense. Uh, both of those sevens 
for Utah and, and Washington, it, it feels big, it feels big right now. Again, it's college football. One of these, these teams are probably going to win by 15 or 16, just kind of how things go and, and how momentum can shift and a team can get going. Uh, but no, just on paper this far out where you just don't, you just don't have a sense of, of what that US, USC defense is going to be yet. Uh, I, I think Washington right now looking at it could put up a bunch of points in that game. Well, I tell you, there's a lot of people that think that Washington is better than USC and some of the preseason rankings, um, whether that means anything or not. You know, I look at a seven point favorite, you know, we're not looking at, to me, you're not looking like 21-14. I mean, I could see a lot of points being scored on this one. I do think by the time SC plays Washington, we'll have a pretty good idea about the SC defense. The thing that Washington has is they've, they have a quarterback that could give SC a lot of fits, could run around athletic, uh, they're physical. But I, I'm going to say uh, all I care about this game, honestly, I don't care about seven points. I just say win the darn game. Just win it. I don't care if it's by a field goal or what have you. They've got to get over this hurdle uh, with Washington. I think playing in the Coliseum, another potential sellout. Wouldn't shock me. Probably primetime game, depending on what Washington's season's going. SC's, I think this is going to be like uh, kind of like playoff football. And I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Lincoln Riley refers to these last six games uh, as playoff football. So I'll I'll take the Trojans. Uh, seven points, I don't know, because Washington has a good offense. They have a, a tough defense. Uh, just win, baby. All right, let's go to uh, USC at Oregon. Oregon's a three-point favorite. Uh, so this is the second uh, time SC is going to be an underdog, at least in this particular uh, opening betting lines here. Uh, Mark, do you agree or disagree? And why? And it's in Eugene and yada, yada, yada. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, they're the greatest program ever. Um, so for USC to only be a three-point underdog going up there, Trojan fans should feel fortunate. I, I got nothing to add to that. Look, they're only a three-point underdog. Again, we're talking about it now. And if the defense is that bad and they're returning Bo Nix, hey, you know, why isn't Oregon favored by six or seven points? All right, Eric, what do you think about that? It's it's odd to me. So if we're going to say that that home field is three points, then you're saying USC and Oregon are even, but USC is four points better than Washington. I, Washington, I think, is a better program, better team than Oregon. I mean, that Washington won one last year, so that that math like doesn't jump out as as making a ton of sense. I I get Otson is a tough place to play. Even though it's at home, the Washington game has me kind of more on edge at, at this point than going up to, to Otson. So, again, I, that would be maybe the Oregon by one that Notre Dame gets, just that little that little home field hook there. But uh, I, from one to three at this point, this far out, I don't think it's that big of a difference. But having it to where you can sort of do the math and come to the, the conclusion that Oregon is a better team than Washington or, or would play USC tougher uh, than, than Washington. I don't, I don't see that right now. So I guess there's, there's a tiny issue, but I, Oregon's got guys, they've got, they've got players. Bo Nix played, you know, 
well enough last year. There's enough talent on there. They've done really well in the transfer portal too. That's going to be, it's going to be a tough game because again, you're talking about where that comes in the season and what USC has had to put out to that point. I mean, I don't know how much that goes into these early numbers or, or anything like that, but uh, it would be a, it would be a pretty significant statement for USC to go out and post like big win after big win in any of these things. I think, and we saw some of that last year, Greg, where you're talking about just one, one point, get, get out of it with one point and move on to the next one. And I think everyone, uh, everyone affiliated with USC, I think would be happy with that. Yeah. I, you know, I, I've been to Austin stadium two, three times. And um, the one thing I learned is um, they're obnoxious. The fans there, uh, they really do get behind Oregon and they really do a great job when Oregon's ahead. I mean, they, they, they like seeing people, people being thrown to the lions, so to speak. But when those ducks get behind in a game at Austin stadium, you can almost hear a pin drop. And if SC can get an ahead, stay ahead and keep that crowd quiet for the most part, uh, they're going to be in good shape. The deal is they got to get ahead, stay ahead. We don't know what the weather will be like, except it will be cold. It's in November. Uh, you know, it, it really also depends on how hot and cold uh, Bo Nix is. Uh, and again, when you get late in the season like this, uh, you know, depth is going to play a part of it. We don't know that. Uh, Oregon, a three-point favorite, I get it. Uh, but I don't consider that a something to be, you know, concerned about. Uh, but I think that this is a game that, you know, SC is going to have to really uh, stay ahead. All right. The final, uh, should we say, uh, draft uh, or uh, betting line um, odds is UCLA at USC. The Trojans are, and I guess the term I should use is whopping 12-point favorite. Agree? Disagree? Mark, is it going to be a route? Yeah, disagree. It's not enough. Um Look, UCLA, I, I know their Chip Kelly is using the transfer portal to the best of his ability, and they're bringing some some good players. They've got, you know, Kyle Ford came over from USC. And I think they've got some receivers that USC is going to have to contend with. I'm just not sure who's going to be their quarterback by the time USC plays them. So based on that, I don't know if UCLA has enough offense this year to make last year's game as competitive this year, you're not going to need a Corey Foreman saving the day. Uh, this game, I I have a feeling is going to turn into a route. It's going to be USC's statement game. Oh, by the way, we're on our way to the conference championship game in Vegas. See everybody else there. And um, UCLA, that was your final Pac-12 loss. Eric, is you, are you as confident as uh, Mr. Culkin on this? I'm never as confident as Mr. Culkin on anything. Uh, I, 12, again, 12 jumped out as high, but until we know who UCLA's quarterback is and how he can play, it make it a million at this point, right? I, I like what UCLA has done in the transfer world. They got a great running back. They got a really good offense. I mean, you look at some of the positions they filled, linebacker, defensive line, wide receiver, like Mark mentioned, is is as good as that position has been over there, I think in a while, if, 
if the quarterback's not figured out, you're not going to have a team that's going to play with a Caleb Williams led team. And so that that's where I can see the 12 uh, being there right now. If they figure out if the, if the transfer who came over ends up being a guy who can do a lot for them, if Dante Moore is, is a five-star guy that, that makes an impression right away and grabs it and he's playing better and better, I could see that coming down a little bit. But no, if, if you don't have a quarterback who can really play and is on his game that day, that, that number, sure, it could, it could get pretty high. Yeah, I think this has the earmarks of a possible landslide. Uh, you know, Dante Moore's never played in the SCUCLA game. Uh, you know, the pressure's different in this game. Uh, you know, you can't honestly say that, you know, it's a rivalry game. Anything can happen. I just don't think it's going to happen this particular game. Uh, SC will be saluting its seniors. Uh, you know, there's a lot of reasons to say SC will be in the right frame of mind. And uh, regardless of the national championship picture, this could be the game that, you know, sends them to the playoffs in terms of winning the Pac-12. And then who knows what can happen from there. Uh, but I just don't see how you, especially in the Coliseum, uh, that SC is going to, you know, uh, roll over and play dead on this one. Uh, all right, let's uh, go over here to DraftKings. Uh, they released their odds regarding Pac-12 teams' seasonal win totals. So we'll, we can uh, let me just go through this very quickly with you. Uh, USC and Oregon are projected, are projected at 9.5 wins. Washington has nine wins. Utah, UCLA, 8.5 wins. Oregon State, eight wins. Washington State, 6.5 wins. Arizona, 5.5 wins. ASU, five wins. Cal, 4.5 wins. And Colorado, uh, three wins. Uh, uh, Stanford, uh, three wins. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, Mark, what stands out? Do you, you think the, the win total is too high, too low for some of these teams, uh, especially SC, Oregon, Washington. What What's your feelings on that? Yeah, as far as if, if USC comes on, comes in at nine and a half or under, uh, Lincoln Riley is going to need to buy some earplugs. As far as the rest of that, I, I looked at Stanford and I looked at Colorado's schedule. I'm seriously considering taking the under for both of those. Um, <laughs> That for those two teams, it's a race to 11th place. I mean, I looked at their schedules, it's a hard find me the wins, find me three wins on either one of their schedules. Other than that, yeah, I'm fine with everything else. I don't, well, I'll get to my point, Eric. What do you think? No, I want to hear your point. Uh, <laughs> so yeah. <sighs> Right. I, USC could be ahead of Oregon if, if you wanted to put USC at 10. I understand kind of keeping the half there to to make it interesting. So you're not going to get a push at nine and a half. I think the Utah UCLA is absolutely the schedule that they play. I mean, when, when USC gets Oregon and Washington, that means UCLA has the other side and, and they've got Oregon State and Washington State. So that when when Utah also plays Oregon and Washington, that can change those win totals pretty significantly here. Um, I mean, Colorado is is obviously going to be fascinating to see how quickly that gets together. Uh, I think I saw there was a there was a note today about 
bets on them. I think they're like the number eight team in terms of national championship bets uh, this offseason so far. And they're also projected to win three games. So somebody's losing money uh, in, in one of those situations. Um, but yeah, you know, everything else is like that feels like the pecking order of of how things have gone at this point. Again, it's clear like that Oregon Washington thing is different um, than I would have them when Oregon's at nine and a half and and Washington is at nine. Uh, but I think that Utah UCLA being even has a lot to do with that schedule and Oregon State is right there in the middle and I'm certainly not going to bet against them you know going under that like they always find a way to to overachieve although as soon as you peg them as being good that feels like the year that they really slip and win four games so maybe we can everyone can hype Oregon State up enough and then they're battling with Colorado and Stanford down there at the bottom well I don't I don't get the point five that's just me I'm trying to figure out what point five is supposed to prove I mean they only have 12 games in the regular season so how do you you know how do you get come to a point five I uh well then you can't push right you either you you guess over nine and a half or under nine and a half it can't be nine and a half if it's if it's set at 10 you can bet 10 and they end up with 10 and you push and they don't get to take your money well that's I think that's very not nice of them <laughs> I uh I think it's a lot of gambling, Greg. Yeah. Well, you know what? I, I don't do a lot of gambling, so I'm not well up on it, although I do understand odds for the most part. But I, I see SC uh, with 10 wins uh, uh, at at the worst, 10 wins. Uh, you know, we don't know how. I the, I will tell you this. Yesterday, which or I should say on Sunday, there was a uh, get-together uh, celebration of life uh, on our late colleague Steve Bishop, and obviously, when many, many well-known sports writers were there to speak, I spoke on behalf of WeRSC.com. Uh, and after the ceremony, you know, people they click off and they start talking about the Pac-12 and what's SC going to do. In fact, Tim Tesselon was there, <laughs> and he said, "Well, what what do you think about the Trojans next year?" And I said, "Well, you tell me. We can't really see much of them." you know, because of the practice thing, and he, he laughed. Uh, but the conversation did turn around to Colorado. And there was a lot, I couldn't believe there's as much animosity about Colorado and the way Deion Sanders was getting rid of players. I don't know if it was so much he got rid of a lot of players, but they were quoting a lot of the stuff from the athletic story of uh, quotes of, uh, you know, he brought me into the office and he, you know, he said, you know, I, I, you know, pointed out where my strengths were and my, where I had to turn my weaknesses into strengths and yada, yada. And then goes, uh, you know, you, you really tried hard, but you're not going to be part of our program. It was almost like, really? So there was a lot of feeling that that could come back to bite uh, Sanders and his attitude. Uh, personally, uh, I know when SC goes to Colorado, uh, it'll be a holy war because it'll be earlier in the season. A lot of optimism there, but uh, I don't know. I I I don't like the way they go about doing their business there. So if they lost every game, I I wouldn't feel bad about it. Uh, of course, maybe he'd get rid of the whole team if they lose. Um, you know, five six games, and he'll just say, "Okay, I got to get rid of you too." So um, you know, it's going to be interesting. I'll just say that with Colorado. 
All right, let's get to halftime. We have some quick hitters here. Today's halftime will be a series of quick hitting questions, answers underscored by the word potentially. So let's get started. Number one, five-star high school basketball star, Bronny James, son of the Lakers, LeBron James, announced over the weekend that he will be attending the University of Southern California in the fall. How will this highly publicized commitment potentially help USC's football recruiting, Eric McKinney? It's huge. It's the place where stars go, right? Like that's what USC can brand itself as when they bring in names like that. This is going to be when Caleb Williams shows up in GQ, right? This kind of stuff is going to reach far beyond just the sports world and get into full mainstream people that don't know about college sports. They're going to hear about USC athletics. And clearly he's with basketball but he'll show up at football games i'm sure they bring the basketball team out a lot i if i was the football team i would try to get them out as as often as possible uh but no it's 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 big it's name recognition brand recognition all of that it's big for usc for all for every sport and for every student athlete at usc to be able to capitalize on that mark He's got 7.1 million Instagram followers. He's going to influence somebody somewhere to take an interest in USC football that didn't have it before. So will it have an effect on recruiting? There's going to be some high school recruits who are going to say, hey, you know what? I, I, I want to go to the school that LeBron James' son went to. Sure. Will it be significant? I don't know. He's only going to be around for a year, maybe two years. So I don't know how much of an impact it'll have on recruiting. Potentially um it's going to open some eyes though again he's an influencer when you when you're in high school and you've got that many people wondering what you're doing what you're having for lunch who you're hanging out with who's watching your games yeah <laughs> it's going to have some it's going to have a little bit of impact yeah I think it's going to have a lot of impact uh, from my perspective because I think that You'll probably see LeBron James on a, I mean, it'd be shocking if he didn't show up on a sideline of a football game. Uh, I think the fact that uh, Bronny James is there uh, sends a message out to all athletic recruits uh, and no matter the sport that this, if, if LeBron James's son is going to come to USC, it's the momentum that must be the place to go. And you got Caleb Williams there and how many times during a sports cast on national TV during the football season where they mention Le, uh, LeBronny James or interview LeBron James. I mean, the brand name, I think Eric is right on the head. I mean, they, they're going to milk this thing for all it's worth. And it's good for both Bronny James. It's good for USC athletics football, of course. I mean, I can't, I think I heard Scott Trader was just euphoric. Uh, Scott being our wrsc.com recruiting uh, expert. Uh, was saying that he really thought that, you know, here you got the two Alabama kids over this weekend. They're there when, you know, when uh, LeBron James's son makes, you know, the big announcement and, you know, you, you can get caught up in that momentum. It's uh, I think, I think it's really a bonanza. Um, all right, let's move on. Some might arguably say that USC is off to a slow recruiting start for the 2024 class, but things appear to be picking up now. Do you expect that potentially USC's recruiting class of 2024 will finish in the top five nationally, Eric? Yeah, potentially for sure. I mean, with Lincoln Riley there with spots available, 
they could potentially end up with the number one class in the Pac-12, and that puts you right in the race for a top five class in the country. So again, if they if they come out and show drastically improved defense and they win the number of games that they feel like they can win, yes, this could be a big-time class where you're pitching, we're going to the Big Ten, we're carrying on this now legacy you know, post Caleb Williams and all of that kind of stuff. And you're probably going to have uh, a lot of holes to fill based on kind of, you know, what we've talked about and, and looked at potentially going to the draft. So yeah, I absolutely could end up in the top five. Mark, what do you think? Well, yeah, I mean, it's going to be the Bronny James effect, right? So automatically, <laughs> look, yeah, what Eric just said is, is I'm just going to echo what he's saying. If USC is winning, they, they everyone kind of got a taste last year they were close they almost had a one-year turnaround from four and eight to the playoffs and to eric's point if the defense holds up their end of the bargain uh, recruiting is going to take care of itself because when usc football is winning everybody wants to come here uh, high school recruits and now you've got the transfer portal it's almost going to be a race to who can fill those spots first the recruits or the guys who want to transfer in that's going to be Lincoln Riley's balancing act that he's going to have to play. So, yeah, potentially, absolutely. Yeah, I, Mark, you're absolutely right. I think that the, um, you know, offensively speaking, they're, not, they're, they're going to be tremendous on offense. So all guys are being recruited offensively, whether it's high school or transfer, you know, you're not going to worry about that. It's going to happen. We all know it's going to happen. It's how the defense looks throughout the season how recruits are looking at it. I mean, I look at Oregon and they have a head coach that's his forte is defense. And I look at how they're really making good progress on defensive recruits. I think SC has to show great progress defensively. If they do, uh, I think they'll have a good uh, haul in terms of defensive players, but they have to show progress on defense so they can get, they're going to be a top five nationally. It has to also include a lot of stellar defensive uh, recruits and or transfers. Hopefully, actually, transfers uh, will fill a spot, but the defensive guys from high school uh, will be a, a foundational uh, uh, going forward. All right, question three. Is Deion Sanders and Colorado potentially a future recruiting threat to USC and Lincoln Riley, Eric? In terms of getting a guy here and there, sure, absolutely. Like he, he, you know, you saw it with Travis Hunter. Travis Hunter is a phenomenal football player. Wide receiver, corner, could have absolutely gone to any school in the country, played for any coach in the country, gravitated to Deion Sanders, and he, he'll get guys like that. In terms of putting together big-time classes and making it so that Lincoln Riley is missing on a ton of guys and can't put classes together. I'm, I'm not going to say that really anybody is a, is a future threat uh, to that. So no, he'll, he'll click with some guys and, and he'll get, I mean, for Colorado, right. It's, it's win-win. Like your, your name is out there and you're getting players that you absolutely would not ever have gotten before this. So He'll take a guy that, that Lincoln Riley wants every once in a while, I think. Um, is that a recruiting threat? I don't I don't know if I call it that. Would you call it that, Mark? No, I no. He's gonna be a nuisance. Um, I guess that'd be the best way to describe him. I mean, if you're talking about 
the secondary specifically, I think Coach Primetime probably has a little pull there. I mean, that he's shown that's his strength right now, where he's he's able to flip kids from his own alma mater. Uh, you know, we brought up uh, Travis Hunter. They uh, who was the other kid um, that he, they're bringing this year? Marion, uh, another guy. So. If you're talking about guys who want to play cornerback, sure. Other than that, Colorado's a, it's a grease fire right now. You don't run 53 guys off in one year. In less than a year. How long has he been there? That's how many guys have left. And he's only gotten 37 guys to return or to transfer in. There's an imbalance there. So until Coach Prime's um, attitude improves, I think he's going to have a hard time recruiting because that type of stuff, um, it floats to the top quickly. And you're going to have families and high school coaches that are going to have nothing to do with him. Yeah, I think he's, I think his attitude, his strength is his weakness. I think that he looks at these teams, his college team is like an NFL team. And you can't treat college players the way you treat an NFL team and just cut them and slice them and dice them. Because you're going to be dealing with uh, uh, parents. You're going to be dealing, as you know, with players. Players are going to talk. What happens when they don't win? How is his attitude going to be towards his team? Is he going to say, I need to cut more players? Uh, does he make them feel as though they're the reason that they're losing? How much responsibility will he take? I think he'll take the responsibility. It's what he does while he takes the responsibility. Uh, I could see... If he doesn't do well, of course, he's going to have him, obviously, other years to do better. But I think he's got a – I don't think he has a big window to, uh, you know, to turn the program around, so to speak, because I think that it's all about how people feel about him. He, he's a very um, uh, controversial person. He was even when he played, you know, the chains, the whole thing. I mean, either you love it or you don't love it, uh, and it's – it's going to be very interesting to see how that relates to whether they win or they lose. All right, what is where is potentially the best ticket source to secure USC tickets in the secondary market? Think of going to Notre Dame. Think of going to Oregon. Think about the big games in the Coliseum. Where do you think is the best place to start checking for ticket prices? Is it StubHub, SeatGeek, TickPicks? Barry's tickets, another source. Eric, where do you go? You should go to our site. You should go to wrsc.com and ask ask who's got extra tickets. That's the best. Unless you have a bunch of extra arms and legs laying around and you can pay some of the, the secondary market uh, markups, that, that's the best place to start for sure. Mark, you're in need of tickets. Where are you going? That was the only answer. <laughs> I was. I knew he was going to take it. That is the only answer. I haven't bought a ticket off the secondary market, and I, I can't tell you how many years. You hear about these fees that you know, you know, Ticketmaster and everybody's charging. Yeah, go to WeRSC. Ask who's got some extra tickets. They'll sell it to you at face value or maybe slightly above, and they might even throw in a parking pass. You never know. So, well, that's that's the big key: the parking pass. Um, I tell you what, um, it's all about the fees. I know I've gotten seats from StubHub, SeatGeek, yada, yada. You always have to, they, the way they do it is, unless you specifically say, I want to know what the fees are included, all of a sudden you think you're getting a great deal. And all of a sudden when you when when it's time to 
plop down a credit card and all of a sudden you go say what you know you know $75 in fees you just go this is ridiculous but I agree if you're going to get tickets if you can get them through a USC fan from our from uh you know our uh member sites uh that would be the best way to go if you can make sure you can make a connection to get a hold of those tickets uh that would be the best way to go and perhaps that's something that we should consider uh, on our site uh, to have maybe a ticket exchange uh where where people aren't ripping off sc fans with tickets all right uh let's wrap up halftime here with uh there's been a number of projections that have been floated if the 2024 Big Ten remains two divisions. Where potentially do you think the Trojans will be placed? And where will UCLA be placed? Will they be placed in the same division? What do you think, Eric? Which way are they going to go? I just, I don't think that there are going to be two divisions. I, I think that that all conferences are probably headed that way. Um, I've seen kind of the 366 where you get your your pod of three teams that you play every year. And I, I think that's probably the way it goes. And I would assume, certainly guess, USC and UCLA play each other every single year when they go there. Now, if it is where USC is playing the same three teams every year, then it gets interesting, right? Do you pair a USC up with an Ohio State and make them play every single year? I think when you see that 12-team playoff and when you look at the last couple of years and who would have made it, you can have some of you know what we always accuse the Pac-12 of being terrible about, right? Not protecting your best team that year. I don't know if you have to do that anymore. I think you can make USC and Ohio State play every year, Michigan and Ohio State and UCLA and Penn State and all those teams. You can set up those games during the regular season because if they're counting for less, you want to have more big ones, right, to draw eyes and, and to get hype up and all of that. And then you're not hurt when it comes time for the playoffs. Oh, you lost one game. You can't be in here anymore. If USC lost to a, a number two Ohio State, a number six Michigan, or whatever that is, you're still probably right in the thick of things, uh, you know, in, in that top 12 there. So um, that that's what I'd like to see. I'd like to see USC, UCLA stick together. And USC, you know, if, if you want to give them a Northwestern every year or whatever, but then one of those Michigan, Ohio State, some way to make sure that, right, there's a reason we're going to the Big Ten. Th those teams are coming out to L.A., or USC's going out there and you don't end up with, you know, you're, you're just playing Maryland Rutgers Purdue as like your only big 10 matchups uh, for, for the year. I mean, I know the schedule won't allow something like that, but to, to make sure that USC's getting those big games uh, would be fun for me. Yeah. Mark, for everybody what, really. Mark, what do you think? Yeah. You know, I was thinking about this before we started the show and I'm thinking, well, you know, the way they're doing it now is they make sure Ohio state and Michigan they're, they're in the same division uh, to, to kind of eliminate each other from going to the conference championship game. I'm wondering if they're going to have want to use the same thing with USC and UCLA kind of play them off that way, keeping them in opposite or in the same division. So only one LA school can be represented in a conference championship game. I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see how they play this out. Um, if they're going to try and keep some of the, the big 10 conference tradition, the way they have it, 
or are they going to now start expanding and looking at the 12-team playoff uh, to what Eric was talking about? And I mentioned this before, you know, get used to having two losses on your resume and being in the playoffs and potentially having three losses. Because, as you know, if you're losing to Ohio State, Michigan, Notre Dame, and you're 10-3, and three, that's a pretty good resume, even with the losses. Well, I would say it depends on how bad the losses are. You know, oh. if, if you get blitzed, I don't think that's going to add to your resume. Uh, I, I think that what you'll see is, I think, a little reach back in tradition. I could see on a Saturday, 9 o'clock in the morning Pacific time, Ohio State and Michigan, followed by USC and UCLA, or they could have three big rivalry games, have uh, you know, uh, Ohio State and Michigan at nine, and then maybe at 12 o'clock, they, you know, maybe Penn State versus Wisconsin or something where there's a big rivalry there. And then the night game could be SC, uh, UCLA. And if they go by one division, you know, th this could really uh, have quite a bit of drama, I think. So I think, remember, they have a new commissioner. He's from the television world. He'll be looking at rankings. He'll be looking at all of these sorts of things. Uh, he seems to have a very interesting background. Uh, I will say this, that they're going to be in a lot better shape than the Pac-12 is going to be, or Pac whatever it's going to be. So you know, we'll see how that one plays out. All right, let's move to the second half here. Uh, ESPN's Mark Schlebach has updated his national top 25 power rankings based on spring ball and the second transfer window. Schlebach has moved the Trojans from number seven to number four in the country. For the record, Schlebach's top 10 are as follows. One, Georgia. Two, Michigan. Three, Florida State. Four, USC. Five, Ohio State. Six, Alabama. Seven, LSU. Eight, Penn State. Nine, Clemson. Ten, Texas. It should be noted that Schlebach also listed in his updated top 25. He has Washington at number 12, Notre Dame at number 13, Utah at number 14, and Oregon at number 15. Panel, your opinion, are you prepared to support Schlebach's rankings that USC is indeed the preseason number four team in the country, at least on paper? All right, I'll start off here since we're a, a, a trio here. Uh, I think still SC uh, is I I'm, until I see that defense, I don't I can't really support number four in the country at the moment. Uh, I think there's somewhere between uh, six and probably eight or nine only because of the defense question marks. Um, you know, I, I, I understand the Georgia. I understand Michigan, uh, Florida State. I didn't quite understand, uh, you know, is SC better than Ohio State on paper? Uh, you know, Ohio State's got some rebuilding to do. <clears throat> there's the Alabama question at quarterback. LSU seems to be coming on. Penn State, they're saying is one of the best, one of the best Penn State teams in in, in a while. So uh, I think the one that annoys me is number 10, Texas. I, I just feel like they're everybody wants them to be so good. And until they prove it with Sarkeesian, I'm gonna hold off my excitement there. But that's that's just my my take on it. Um, panel, what do you what do you think, Eric? Do you think that SC is number four in the country? Are they are they appropriately placed? I, I can defend four, right? You said six, which if you slide them behind Ohio State and Alabama, they slide to six. And then you talk about quarterbacks at this stage, and Caleb Williams jumps SC back to four over two teams that 
will probably figure out their quarterback situation, but just lost the top two picks in the NFL draft. So no, not, not a huge problem with four, you know, right now uh, there's a chance that you could come in at four and not have your defense together in game one and see a pretty significant drop uh, when it comes to those power rankings. But I mean, they're going to score. USC is going to score a ton of points and their offense is going to make it so that they can win every game. It, you know, it's one of those things where people say a lot, Oh, well, they have to win games 56, 55 or 45, 42 or whatever it is. If your offense is going to show up every single time out and let you do that, that's better than where a lot of programs are right now. So yeah, four four is fine based on what USC has coming back and on paper what they have coming in. Sure. All right. So big support for number four from Eric McKenney. Mark Culkin, are you on the same on the same on board with the uh, with the editor? Yeah, I'm on the same page with Eric. I mean, it's I think USC is a lot closer to Mark Schleybach's number four than Dennis Dodd's number twelve. Um, that was a, that was I couldn't understand that one. Yeah, I, like and he had Washington way up there. So. Yeah, Eric made he 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 stated the case very eloquently. Look, everybody's focused on USC's defense needs to get better. When is when are the voters going to start shifting their paradigm to? It, it's it's not a defensive game anymore. It's an offensive game. You've got to be able to score points, and you just need your defense to, you know, be good. They don't have to be great. I don't think Georgia's defense last year was great but they were really proficient on offense. So again, you know, if Alabama is looking for a quarterback and that's why they're behind USC, that's telling me that, you know what, maybe defense isn't the end all be all right now. If they're putting such a heavy emphasis on the quarterback position, USC is going to score points. USC's defense gave up on average 29 points last year. They're 20% better than that. They're giving up what, 24, 25 points. And if USC scoring 41, I don't know. My arithmetic, my arithmetic says USC's undefeated. Oh, wow. All right. Well, with that note, let's go on. Assuming that quarterback Caleb Williams is the first player taken in the 2024 NFL draft, which Trojan will be selected following Caleb next draft season? Uh, this is an interesting one for me. Uh, part of me would say uh, uh, Callum Bullock uh, might be the one on defense, but I think there's a lot of candidates that haven't separated themselves. I think there's some receivers that could follow Caleb. I'm not saying first round, but I'm just saying we're talking about who will be the next Trojan selected in the draft. Although, uh, you know, we have to know who's going to be eligible for the draft. But right now, I I will kind of say Bullock. Uh, kind of with okay he's the one that seems to surface for me what about you eric yeah i think kaylin is kind of the safe pick again this is a it's a passing league and that kid can cover with the best safeties out there nationally and so that's what i think we'll we'll get a lot of eyes on him i'm curious if you think teams left like a their, their pick for for caleb on the podium as they were leaving this year's draft just to get it in early enough. And in case they got the number one pick, just here, we're, we're going to leave this here in case we get, we end up with number one. 
Uh, but then you're right. There's a big group, right? Based on, I think, I think this season is going to tell a lot, right? If Jonah Monheim lights things up at right tackle, now that's interesting because if he's going to play right tackle and not left tackle, our team's comfort comfortable going high on a guy who hasn't played a lot of left tackle. Typically, that you know, that's going to be your your first round pick is a guy who's going to play left tackle for you. Uh, and then that wide receiver group, who comes out of that group, right? Dorian Singer is a guy. Brendan Rice has all the measurables. Mario Williams is a guy who's who's kind of flashed. Does someone from that group really take a huge leap? Because right now, none of them are coming into this year with what Jordan Addison brought into his one year at USC. And so, yeah, you've got a lot of different guys who could potentially turn in a big time year and then shoot up that draft board. But in, in terms of what they've done so far, the attention they've gotten postseason awards, all, all that kind of stuff. Kalen, Kalen Bullock, I think is kind of the, the safe answer as the number two guy right now. Again, he'd, he'd have to decide to go early though. Um, not, not a given that he would absolutely leave after this year. What do you think Colkin? Yeah. Uh, you know, Eric, he kind of put the asterisk next to Jonah Monheim's name. I had that written down as well. The other name that I put an asterisk next to, if he decides he wants to leave, he's a redshirt junior this year, is Jacoby Covington. You know, it's a passing league, and you don't grow cornerbacks the size of Jacoby very often. So he could be that guy off the board first um, after Caleb Williams. One, because he can cover two. He's also physical and he's shown he can tackle. And I think that gives him the step or the advantage above Kalen Bullock. We'll find out. So again, depending on who wants to leave early, uh, I think Jonah Monheim definitely belongs in that category. I'm bringing up uh, Jacoby Cummington's name. After that, I think USC is going to have more players drafted, but I don't know if they're going to have that many highly drafted players uh, when you go down the list. Um, you know, Christian Roland Wallace, Keon Bars, Tyrone Tulaney. I mean, again, the guys are going to get looks. Marshawn Lloyd. Yeah, I think that uh, I, I think as many, if you're going to be optimistic about it, I think they can have as many as 16 guys drafted in the seven rounds. Uh, Yesterday or uh, the other day, as I was saying at uh, the Steve Bishop Celebration of Life, uh, my former junior high quarterback, who uh, when I started my early coaching days, was there. His name is Gary Klein, covers the uh, the Rams. And I asked Gary about Caleb Williams. Uh, are 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 the Rams interested in? I know they're stockpiling draft choices. Could they make an attempt to get trade up? And and give a lot of it up to uh, to secure the number one overall pick. He he said it's conceivable, but he didn't think they had enough really high draft picks, uh, you know, that they could entice somebody with. But he says, you know, they're willing. They've shown in the past they're willing to put it all on the line. I tell you, if Caleb Williams went to the Rams, what what kind of an impact would that have, both on and off the field? That would be to me like a bonanza. Now, heading into the 2023 season, if Caleb Williams is the most valuable player on the USC team, who do you think at this point is the second most valuable player? Um, you know, I'm going to look at the defense. I, I think that Mason Cobb could could be right there uh, as what he's shown so far. 
Uh, and, you know, if you got a strong inside linebacker, you can do a lot of things in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not prepared yet to say that Bear Alexander is going to be the second most valuable player because I want to see how he performs. Uh, same thing with Anthony Lucas. But, uh, you know, it's possible that uh, in the end it could be, uh, you know, Cobb. So what, what do you think, Eric? Yeah, Cobb was the guy that I was going to go with. Lincoln Riley mentioned this spring, you know, hey, we're we're really deep at inside linebacker. But if you start looking at it, if, if they lost him, right, just out, out of the lineup, off the field completely, it thins out pretty quickly when you ask when you're asking those guys to also play on special teams and move around and do all that kind of stuff. So yeah, he was going to be my pick. I I'm not as hesitant as you to say Barry Alexander is, is that guy. Um, again, what he allows you to do if, if he's going to show up and play well and be the guy that everyone expects him to be, what you can do around him, what you can do with your depth, what he lets you do with those other guys, I think is what makes him, so valuable and, and what you can do with him too, right? Move him around and, and the stats that you assume he's going to bring and that position, right? If, if you can get something that's an AA plus up there on that defensive line, that, that makes everybody better. Um, but I, I, you know, certainly with you defense front seven, right up the middle be, being, you know, the, the number two MVP outside of Caleb. Who is it for you, Mark? I look at it this way. Um, and I, I actually wrote about this earlier in the year. Who do you not want missing on your offensive line? Your starting center. Well, the, right now, you take Justin Dietrich off that offensive line. Right now, they're still trying to figure it out. You've got two constants. You've got Jonah Monheim, whatever position they're going to play him at, and you've got Justin Dietrich. I don't know if they're in a position to lose what – and he was called the offensive line's most valuable player. A guy, I don't know if they could afford to lose him right now. So while you bring up the Bear Alexanders, which, you know, the defense is going to be important this year. There's, there's no denying that. Right now, to me, if there's one player USC cannot afford to lose, I, I got to go with their starting center. Okay. Let's finish out the second half with this. Kind of a loose end question. Panel, the first game against uh, San Jose State isn't until uh, late August. What suggestions would you give USC fans to make it through the next four plus months? Okay, I just wrote a column on Sunday on suggestions what to do. Watch YouTube, uh, uh, go to Trojan Store, go go out and do that. Uh, you know, a number of uh, USC activities. Uh, you start booking uh reservations if you're going to go to away games and i would suggest you do it now uh and and things of that nature uh eric what would you suggest to uh to our listeners to pass the time away constructively uh for the next four plus months to at least dabble in usc football and and let's not forget the college football magazines of course uh so what would you what would you recommend yeah you're you're sending people too far away Watch this channel and go to wearesc.com, join the message board, and talk to USC fans and pass the time that way. That is that is the best way to spend your time. Get on it when you wake up in the morning. 
maybe shut it down when you go to bed. Maybe not. You may want to check it overnight in case things happen there. That's the best way to spend your time. Well, you know what, that that to me, in, as I look back on the article, I think I mentioned that, but you are absolutely right. That that would be the number one thing to do. Mark, what do you think? Yeah, um, Erica's right. You go to wearesc.com, you get all of your subscriber recruiting information. You get all of your inside nugget information. You go to YouTube and you watch this show, you watch my show, you watch Chris's show, you watch his Eric breakdown of the players at USC is getting commitments from, you watch Scott Schrader. If you do all that, your day is pretty much filled. You don't have time for anything else. And if you do, go have a kid. <laughs> I will say, Greg, pulling up those like the early Pete Carroll full games sometimes that show up on, on YouTube, watching some of the, the 2008 defense, the 2005 offense, some of those things that that's a really fun kind of flashback way to, way to spend time too. You are yeah, right about that. Absolutely. Um, the thing that I, I, I want to do hammer on a little bit about what, what both of you agree upon and I agree upon it. You know, I'm always amused at people that say, well, you know, if I get a subscription to USC, it's going to cost me yada, 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 $99 or, uh, you know, some special deal. And ah, that's a lot of money. And I think Scott Schrader made a really good point on one of his uh, rant videos is that if you break it down to uh, how much you're really spending a day, maybe 23 cents a day uh, for the for what you get. For what you think you're paying for i mean if you go to the gas station it's what 50 60 70 dollars to fill your tank and then you're back at it again two weeks later or if you bought a subscription to the premium uh, usc uh site uh you get uh you know year-round coverage uh in fact some of my friends who said you know i'd like to really look at your site but the cost i said do, i said do me a favor go and make a subscription if you're unhappy, I'll, I'll reimburse you. And I would say 10 out of 10 people went and got subscriptions. And they said, wow, this is the best deal ever. Because like you mentioned, Eric, people tune in in the minute they wake up in the morning, the, the day, middle of the day, the end of the day, and the message boards are just, uh, you know, are just a frenzy, a lot of fun. Uh, a lot of people that care deeply about USC football. And my suggestion to all of you would be if you if you like what we do, uh, maybe you don't like some of the opinions that we give, but it gets a lot better also if you if you become a subscriber. I think it'd be well worth your time. What do you have to lose? If you don't like it, just don't don't renew it. It's just that simple. All right. Let's close things up here with some overtime questions. One is from uh MRB. Is anyone nervous about special teams in 2023 as far as kickoffs? kickoff returns and punt returns. All right, free for all, open for business. Uh, I will say um, I'm not really all that concerned at the moment. I think if they put the right guys in the right spots uh, and don't do anything stupid, uh, as I define what stupid would be, uh, I think they'll be okay. What about the rest of you? Yeah, I think they have enough options now that no one's going to be forced to line up at kick returner in crucial situations that maybe aren't prepared to handle the situation. So I'm not concerned this year. Just, you know what? It's real easy. If Zachariah Branch isn't returning a, catching a returnable kick, 
Fair catch it, start at the 25, give the ball to Caleb. There's nothing to be concerned about. Touche. Yeah, just have Caleb go out and fair catch kickoffs. Then you can just you hang, hang on to it, set it himself, and, and get going. No, I there, there's no no concern. I, I think that there's guys that can can become weapons there for USC. All right. Also, uh, MRV asks, he says, it's obvious going into the season that the Pac-12 does not want USC to win the conference, go to the playoff, and who knows from there. The refs and the league itself, should it be a concern? Obviously, the Pac-12 refs are brutal already, but will that increase? The league did a job on USC with the end of the schedule. Um, you know, I think it's uh, a difficult thing for the conference to root for teams, especially ones that are not going to be in the conference. But I think that you have to just take it for this year. I would hope that all of the potential there of poor refereeing when SC is playing or rooting against SC. Uh, I hope it doesn't happen. I don't think it would be good for credibility and for the sport in general, but I don't know. What do you guys think? Anyone, any place, any time. Isn't that the motto? I believe it is. I, I mean, USC is still a Pac-12 program this year. They, they'd still get, right, the money and all of that stuff if USC goes to the playoff and wins and, all you know, all that share and everything. So I don't see a reason that you'd want, you know, to, to hurt them. And and also, I, I mean, we, we know by now, right, the Pac-12 is not competent enough to put together some elaborate scheme to really – do anything i think even for or against somebody so no every team and and the other thing i want to make a point is go if, if you're complaining about pac-12 officiating go look at other conferences the way other fans talk about officiating in their conferences people the sec people cannot stand sec officiating big 10 people cannot stand big 10 officiating there is no perfect solution to where all of a sudden we're USC is going to the Big Ten and never going to have a bad call against them again. So it, it'll it'll still be there no matter where you are. Yeah, but those two conferences aren't a punchline on ESPN or Fox Sports when they're talking about officiating. <laughs> That's the difference. Yeah, and you know what? Just remember this. I think there was three sets of Pac-10 official, official groups that have been sucked in. And I, I use that as taken in. Uh, by the Big Ten for next season, so you know that that's kind of a uh, under the rug type of thing that's come out a little bit on publicity. Let's move on to uh, from Big Daddy, originally from Inglewood. I think he's talking about the 2024 season with this, with the potential of as many as 17 games per season. How do you see college football accommodating the players in terms of meaningful benefits? More players on scholarship, long-term health care, other things. Um, I think that's pretty well thought out for the most part. Uh, what do what do you guys think? Yeah, it, I mean, it doesn't seem to be a major push of oh, we've got to change all this stuff now that we're playing these games. I mean, there there's right two teams that are going to play that many out of 131. Yeah, yeah. Mark, any thoughts? Yeah, the only change I could possibly see happening is maybe adding a couple scholarship players just to give a little bit more depth to roster. But 
like Eric said, you're only going to have two teams playing that 17th game. So um, if they're not extending this down to the lower divisions that have been playing in the playoffs, you know, what's the difference? All right. Uh, question three from Trojan the Valley. He touched on something we've already talked about, but he does. I, I do want to read his question. Uh, he was kind enough to submit. He says, panel, in your opinion, what will be the effect of Ronnie coming to USC? Bigger crowds and national coverage of our b-ball games, basketball games. Will this arrival have any effect on the football team? I think we talked about this uh, before, but what about the basketball game since uh, uh, Trojan in the Valley brought it up? Is that going to increase attendance, Mark? You, I know you go to the games and you cover them. Uh, bigger crowds now, bigger national coverage because of Bronny. How do you see it? Uh, absolutely. Um, you know, I I actually sent the uh, sports information director for basketball, Dave Tuttle, because um, I, I told him I'm going to follow up with him at the end of this week. I want to see if season ticket sales kind of increase because of this. But I'm, I said, hey, you know, Galen Center might not be packed to the rafters. But I anticipate, you know, 7,000 per game, again, because of who he is and potentially who could be showing up at a game. We're not just talking about LeBron, talking about, you know, guys like Drake, um, who shows up at high school basketball game. So why not? Uh, yeah, it's going to have an effect. Well, they averaged about, I think, close to 4,900 a game. I think that's what I what I read, um, you know, which would about what it fills uc irvine's brent event center uh if they got to seven thousand, that would obviously be a, a a nice increase no question about that uh but there are other players besides Bronny uh coming to the you know the kid from georgia is a really lightning point guard and uh you know if you're going to come to see Bronny, you're you know you're going to be really said who's, who's this other kid uh they've got some talent the question is is about winning games. And of course, I hate to belabor the point, but I'll do it anyway. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, when you look at, uh, you know, USC uh, winning the conference, you know, uh, Andy Enfield has not won the conference. I think going into the 10th season, if you correct me on that. And at some point in time, you got to say, are they going to win the conference? I mean, I understand going to the NCAA tournament is a beautiful thing, but, you know, and when does the winning the conference not become a relevant factor? Um, question four for Major in Santee, California. I saw that offensive lineman Cameron Johnson has spurned the Trojans for Missouri. Is that a surprise? And why Missouri? That is going nowhere in the SEC. Uh, I'll just chime in and say it just doesn't come out of the blue. Uh, a lot of people were saying that Missouri was right there for him. Uh, I think he's probably concerned about getting to the NFL uh, and why not. But um, uh, you know what, uh, Missouri, if you're looking at it from a, just a competition standpoint, uh, maybe he just wants to play against people in the SEC. What do you, what do you guys think? Brandon Jones what was the uh, offensive line coach at Houston and he went to Missouri. So this is a, a player following his former coach um, to a new spot. I, you know, USC had, those transfer offensive linemen in around the same time. And sometimes in the transfer portal, it's here that we got one spot for, for this position and who wants to fill it. And USC got a good one there. Yeah. All right. Uh, two more questions. I'm going to wrap it up from the genius in Las Vegas. What do you make of the PAC 12 unable to secure a television contract? 
Uh, I will just say they better come up with a decent one because uh, right now it, it it doesn't look real positive. I'll just say that. Correct. Yes, they don't have a lot of chips to to bargain with. Mark, what do you think? They're trying to figure, well, here's the issue from what the way I understand it. They're going to be doing the majority of their broadcasting st with streaming. And you've got, you know, Apple and Amazon who are laying off people left and right. So it's a matter of a timing thing right now with, you know, whomever they're associating with um, kind of saying, all right, well, we're going to spend this much money on to tell, you know, stream college football games. And I'm sorry that we just laid off, you know, 5,000 people. So it's right now, I think it's just a bunch of red tape. I don't think um, this media deal is going to save the Pac-12. Whatever it is, it's going to be. But, you know, it's today's, um, in today's economy, it's, 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 it's just the worst time to try and negotiate a, a TV deal. It's horrible. And on that positive note, we'll go to uh, the final question from Phil in Burbank, California. Why is SC going after so many defensive backs? Don't they have an overabundance? Uh, I will defer to you guys to begin with this uh, comment. They're going after so many everybody's. I mean, they're they're going after they're going after the best players out there, and and. Over a but right. So so when Lincoln Riley is looking at the roster, it's not just right. Not everybody's created equal. It's not well. We have twelve offensive linemen or or whatever that number is. You've got the guys that are going to be stars and huge contributors, and you want as many of those on your team as you can. So just because some guy has cornerback next to his name on the roster, he may not be seen equally as someone else who has cornerback uh, on their name, but. Yeah, so so if this is about the you know the, the Alabama brothers coming in there, there are spots where you want to target. And if they saw, I mean, Max Williams moved to kind of that deeper safety spot and opened up to where you just had Jalen Smith and Latrell McCutcheon at that nickel spot. Can you get through a season with just those two at that spot, or do you want to bring someone in and, and really potentially push for a starting spot there and and make sure you're as locked up and, and buttoned up as you can be? uh at a a really really key spot for that defense and, and so i think bringing a guy in there um was pretty critical i, I think jalen smith's a guy that can play with uh with mccutcheon got a lot of praise from coaches this offseason again i don't know if you want to go into a season at any position with only two guys uh being there to to get you through the kind of schedule, the kind of season that, that we certainly anticipate USC having to face. And not only that, I mean, you're recruiting for the future. I mean, USC is going to be losing a lot of guys from the secondary, potentially after the season. You need to have guys ready to step in and, and fill in. We're, we're talking about Kalen Bullock. I brought up Jacoby Covington. Um, the, there's at least two more guys out of that group that I anticipate won't be on the roster next year whether they're going to the NFL, transferring, whatever the situation might be. Um, so, yeah, you, you need to start backstocking for the future. That's why they're focused on on the secondary. And that's that's a key thing with Vingens, too, right? He's got four years. I mean, it, it's not a it's not a one-year gap. I think that's another thing Lincoln Riley has done really well in the portal with is we need this guy right now. And we're going to have him for one year. 
also there's a bunch of guys that they're going to have really build with. Yeah, I, I think the way the game is played uh, offensively now and the way the defenses have to adjust to it and have been doing it for a while, uh, I don't think you can have enough defensive backs the way the way the game is played in this day and age. So, guys, uh, again, uh, if you have a question or comments for our panel, go to either of the WeRSE message boards, click on the thread that pertains to Inside the Trojans Huddle, viewer or listener questions. And with that, that'll do it for Tuesday's edition of Inside the Trojans Huddle. Until next Tuesday, a big thank you to our panelists, Mark Culkin and Eric McKinney. And a special big thank you to all of you for watching and listening to Inside the Trojan Saddle. Believe me, it's greatly appreciated. Have yourself a great week. Until then, this is your moderator, uh, Greg Katz, reminding you all to fight on, everybody.